Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 81 for late July 2013. Well, today I'm so excited to bring you an interview with screen and TV writer-producer Jeffrey Lieber. Um, he's the writer of Tuck Everlasting, co-creator of Lost, creator showrunner of Miami Medical, and also showrunner of Necessary Roughness, as well as a whole pile of other shows and features in between. You're going to love the interview. Going to get to it in just a few minutes. Um, but I do have a few housekeeping announcements. Um, one of them, and a very important one, is that there will be a change in the release schedule for the podcast. Um, up to now, the podcasts have been released uh, roughly every second week, and they will not be released every second week any longer. Uh, this is because I need to slow down the releases as I focus on my upcoming move to Los Angeles. Um, the latest update on that is that the paperwork is still, still in process, but uh, hopefully it will be finished soon. And, uh, and I'm hoping to move sometime in the fall or early winter. Um, so from now on, at least for the, the time being, the podcast will be every two months or so, and there won't be a regular schedule. So I will be continuing to release episodes, just not as often. Um, you can watch my Twitter feed, at Gray Jones is my handle, for the latest updates and uh, to find out about when these interviews are coming. And also, don't forget to uh, to bookmark the website at tvwriterpodcast.com. There's lots of great resources there. Um, tons of back interviews. There's a TV writer Twitter database with over a thousand Twitter handles for, for television writers. There's a, a, a bunch of links on the sidebar. Um, one of the links takes you to hundreds of free TV scripts, pilots, and Bibles, etc. Also, make sure you do like the Facebook group. Look for TV Writer Podcast on Facebook. And this is a great time to go back and catch up on episodes you've missed um, or rewatch. I actually, as I watch the numbers, it does seem like a lot of people are um, a little bit behind. So this this is good to to catch up, go back and figure out which which ones that you you need to to watch. And one great way to do that is if you haven't noticed, all of the podcasts are now on YouTube. So go to my channel YouTube.com/slash Graham A Jones, and you can find all of the podcasts. And why is that cool? One of the reasons is because it allows you to set up your own playlists. So you can you can set up playlists of your favorite episodes. You can play them on a lot uh, more devices that might not be compatible with the iTunes feed, for instance. So that's pretty exciting. Um, also, do check out the weekly TV writer chat on Sunday nights at 9.30. I'm there um, most often. That, of course, is 9.30 Eastern. That's 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Find out all the details at tvwriterchat.com. And speaking about TV Writer Chat, this is late-breaking news. I do want to extend congratulations to the winners of the TV Writer Chat pilot program. Uh, this pilot writing program has been going on since the beginning of the year, and there are five winners whose scripts will be going on to be read by manager Jenny Frankfurt. And their name Names are Marjorie Scott, Stephen J. Burgess, Mary Guzman, Christina DeMarco, and Michelle Bergamo. So 
big congratulations. And if you want to find out more about that program, you can go back and read the transcripts that have gone on, and uh, you might just learn something about pilot writing. And, uh, and as well, just shoot me a note on Twitter. If you ever have a question, I'd be happy to answer. But for right now, on to my interview with Jeffrey Lieber. You're going to love it. Let's roll. This is great, and I'm here with screen and TV writer-producer Jeffrey Lieber. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing fine. How are you? Doing really well, thanks. And I, I have to admit, um, I interview a lot of writers, but uh, it's not very often I get to inv- interview writers that are involved with some of my favorite shows. And uh, and Lost was definitely a favorite in our family. And also, I really loved Tuck Everlasting, and I, I can't wait Thank to talk to you about those, uh, the, those projects, as well as all of your other projects. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Very, very cool. Well, uh, I'd love to hear first, um, where did you grow up and, and when did you know that you wanted to write for, for film and te- television? Um, I grew up in Chicago, uh, a little suburb north of there called Evanston, which is where North, Northwestern was. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's funny, I, I, I sort of wandered into this the way I, I wandered into uh, lots of people wandered into this, uh, lots of stuff. I was a uh, I was an actor in Chicago, and mm-hmm. um, I was doing a show at Steppenwolf Theater there. I was doing um, Awake and Sing by Clifford Odets, and I was playing Ralphie, and I was on screen, uh, on stage, uh, uh, you know, seven nights a week. And I had this moment where I was standing on stage, and I became really acutely aware of the fact that the walls were about an inch and a half thick, and I was wearing makeup, and uh, I had said the same things six or seven times uh, or in that week already, and I uh-huh. had either... Uh, on the most positive side, I had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Oh, and on the negative side, I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> and I realized that my days as an actor had come to an end and um, that I had to figure out some other way to be artistic. And so I had been writing for years up to that point as a playwright and so on and so forth. So it was sort of that moment that I decided that I had to change my life. And that's when I started to plot going to Los Angeles. And that was mm-hmm. uh, 1994, I think. 94. So so you you moved to L.A. right away or, or to work on it a little bit? Um, I... Spent a bunch of, I had been writing plays and so on and so forth. And so I had a writing partner at the time, or uh, at least for TV and, and film. And so he and I wrote a bunch of um, half hour specs. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it's Mad About You or uh, uh, Seinfeld, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Friends, probably, maybe even before Seinfeld at that point. Um, and what happened was we. <laughs> Uh, I had a friend who lived in Los Angeles and who was an actress and I sent her our scripts and she gave it to her agent and her agent, who I think wanted to have sex with her, um, took us on as clients said, okay, we'll, we'll rep you. But, um, he, he never met us. He never really talked to us. And so uh-huh. the whole thing, you know, in retrospect seems very sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't know any better. And so we moved our butts out to Los Angeles and we spent the next six months before staffing season meeting with him and writing um, a movie idea and so on and so forth. And then one day we go to the agency to have a meeting mm-hmm. and we sit and talk to him and we go home. And then after lunch, I call back in with a question and all of a sudden they said, um, Jason isn't with us anymore. Oh, no. And I said, well, wait, he was just with us with you before lunch what happened and they fired him and so i went back in a couple of days later and had a meeting with the head of the agency who said i'm sorry none of us know you exist oh my um, goodness you're basically we're not going to represent you and i said i just we moved our life out from chicago staffing season's coming up what will we do and they said we don't care <laughs> and eight months pass by and we're i'm bouncing around los angeles and i'm getting a bunch of 
points on my driver's license and all sorts of, you know, terrible things are happening. And then through a long sort of chain of events, um, we end up meeting another agent who reads our script and says, mm-hmm. I'd love to sign you this time for real, uh-huh. but I'm leaving my agency. And when I land uh, somewhere else, uh, I will take you with us. Interesting. Okay. And, and um, two weeks later, she calls to say, basically, she'd landed at the agency that had fired us eight months earlier. No. And we ended, yeah, we ended up being repped by them. It was called Writers and Artists at the time. And so I, we were repped by them uh, again eight months later with a totally different agent. And that was sort of how things got started for me. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but that's the business. <laughs> yes, that is the business. Yeah. Very, very cool. So so you're you're landed back at that agency. And, and at that point, um, were you already... Did you already have Tangled written? Um, yes, it was called it was called um, a conspiracy of weeds at the time. It was much. Um, it was the it was the first screenplay I ever wrote. I wrote it first uh, first with my writing partner at the time. We started writing it together, a guy named Michael Shapiro. And then when he decided to go back to Chicago, I took it over and rewrote it and rewrote it. And you know, it was a script that I wrote and rewrote about twenty times mm-hmm. in the course of two years between the time I left Chicago and when I got to Los Angeles. So when I re-signed with the agent i essentially had my calling card were these two very small independent films one of which was called uh conspiracy of weeds which became tangled mm-hmm. and the other which was called uh shape pa which was this very small independent film about a guy whose father died a kid a nine ten year old eleven year old kid whose father dies of a heart attack and how he deals with it mm-hmm. um and, and there were two scripts that I think people like to read a great deal, but no one was going to make necessarily. Mm-hmm. But they became the they became the my entree into meetings with people. Cool. Well, uh, Tangle did get made, but uh, what, yes. What uh, um, I don't want to jump ahead. What what was happening around that time? And, and actually, tell me also, did you know that you wanted to work in television? Did did you were you planning on working in features or or what was the direction at I the sur- time? I sort of had a three. I. I when I left Chicago, I thought I was a half hour writer mm-hmm. and I kind of realized when I got here, I was about one joke a page short for that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then having been a playwright, I started to sort of take the tone tonality and the art, the things that I was interested in as a playwright and started writing features with it. Um, and then spent, you know, about six years out here writing almost entirely features. Once I start get started getting jobs mm. and then my agent and some people came to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in writing for television? And then from that point forward, I've written almost, uh, I've written probably 80% television and 20% movies. Hmm. Cool. And, and, and transferred over from being a half hour writer to being an hour writer, which was much more in the voice that I sort of had. Yeah. And, and tuck everlasting. How did that come about? It was the second job I ever got. Um, it was a book adaptation that had been with a, a wonderful producer named Jane starts for years. And, mm-hmm. um, we got in contact with each other and, um, you know, it was really about getting the, the, the studio at the time. And I can't remember the name of it now, um, to buy into the concept because it was, it was a young female lead. It was a period piece. It had all sorts of things that Hollywood doesn't like to, to make. And I think my pitch to them was to try to say, Hey, don't think of it as a young female lead and don't think of it as a period piece, but think of it as a, uh, a kidnapping, which leads to an abduction, which leads to a love story. And by sort of reframing it that way, mm-hmm. they were willing to take the chance and, the, and we started the process. Very, very cool. And uh, and that was, I mean, it wasn't a, a major movie, but it was a pretty major movie. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it was, it was Disney. It was it was a bunch of people, specifically Alexis Bledel, who's gone on to do great stuff, and William Hurt and Sissy Spacek and all those guys. So, you know, I mean, it, its size was probably limited by the fact that the scope of the, the you know, the periodness of the, of the piece and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was uh, limited by that, but it was a, it was totally a great experience. Mm-hmm. It must have been. And, and so now... Um it was big enough that I imagine that started to get get you some meetings and some some bigger work. Yeah, it, it's funny how you know Hollywood works in a funny way, which is that your actual career is ahead of your produced career. Mm. So, so it was I I was just getting scripts all based on the work I was doing. So, you know, by the time that got made, I was I had already transferred over to TV almost for, for the most part, or I had started writing TV, and so. He, what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis is actually a few steps ahead of what appears to be going on in the real world. So right. by, t- by the time that came out, I, I'd almost st- I'd started writing pilots at that point. Mm-hmm. And and uh, now that's that's something that isn't recorded on IMDb except for the ones that actually get produced and yeah. and aired. So so how many pilots would you say you wrote um, in that time and and on over the next ten years? Uh, I've probably written. 15 pilots, maybe 12 pilots in that area, uh, of which four have gotten shot, mm-hmm. two have turned into series. Wow, which um, is actually an excellent track record. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not a bad one. It certainly has been, um, I've been lucky in the fact that I've gotten to, in, since 2005 or so, um, um, either be shooting or working on uh, a television show every year since then. That's been really, you know, one of the hardest parts about being a writer out here is that you can spend a lot of times, even very, very successful people writing things that, um, and never seeing production. And it mm. becomes very theoretical what you're doing, which is like, what am I doing? I, I stand there, I write, I think of ideas and, you know, people are very happy when nothing gets made. And so it's been nice to be in production in one form or the other since about 2005. Yeah. Well, I consider there's uh, how many thousand people in the Writers Guild and what, 100, 200 films that get made every year and not, yeah, yeah. not so many more TV shows. Well, yeah. um, we do have to talk about Lost. So you, <laughs> <laughs> this this was a project that you were on very early with uh, Spelling Entertainment. Tell me about how you got on that project and what your role was with that. Um, what happened in, uh, was that um, I had uh, an overall deal with spelling, and um, they came to me and said, "Hey, um, uh, ABC wants to do the show as it was pitched to me at the time, much like uh, the Tom Hanks movie um, Castaway." Castaway, yeah. thank you. Um, and uh, the pitch to me was essentially that what they wanted to do again, as it was explained to me at the time. Uh, was was a hyper real version of people sort of lost on, on, on an island, um, and uh, and what would I be interested? In? And so I said yes, I would. And I went in and I pitched them, and I pitched them a version um, uh, about this flight from uh, I believe it was Sydney, if I remember correctly now, mm-hmm. uh, back to uh, the states that goes down gets thousands of miles off course for reasons that were that are easier to write than actually explain mm-hmm. and ends up crashing on, on this island and, and the and the basic conceit of the pilot was the one big buy you had for for my version of the pilot was that after seven days um 
people were going to stop looking for them because essentially they would believe that, the, that you know, that, that the, the plane was somewhere at the bottom of the ocean and that they would be lost. And uh, what I was interested in at the time was sort of what, what do you do with society if you could start over completely, right? If you had a, mm. a second chance and would you recreate society like we have or would you do something totally different? And it was very, right. very much in the vein of, um, uh, Lord of the, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the, the Flies. Flies. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was doing. And, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote a pilot, uh, and then did a rewrite. And just about the time it was, uh, going to possibly going to move over to production. Um, ABC decided they wanted something very different. I was removed. JJ and Damon were brought on and the thing took a very different turn. And spelling was, was removed too, right? Spelling was removed too. Yes. We were, we were all the, the heart, the, the, the hardest thing in retrospect and which is, fairly funny was, you know, again, there was this big push when I was on the show that it had to be hyper real. And they had me hire National Geographic or they hired National Geographic to work no. with me. So, so I could come to understand whether it was a, well, an island or an archipelago or an isthmus or what, you know, one of these sorts of things. And wow. so, um, the rule structure of what I was doing was very different. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't read, the, I haven't read the script for years now. I mean, I haven't read the script. This was 2003 into 2004, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really do. I really do like the thing that we were building, but clearly it got to a point where they, they wanted other things and other people. And then, you know, again, my, my joke is that I was doing Lord of the Flies and they ended up doing some version of Lord of the Rings. So that's not really true. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. you know, sadly I have no, I have no, I have no answers as to what it means. You'll have to ask Damon and JJ and Carlton. About that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, you did get co-creator credit on that, which is pretty significant. Yeah, it was, it was, it's lovely. And, uh, you know, again, I, the guild has very specific rules and uh, I think they do do a pretty good job of protecting original writers in situations like that. Very, very cool. So, so post, um, this lost drop, um, you, you kept on developing pilots. You, you got, uh, another one off the ground in 2010, um, Miami medical, but there was some other stuff in the, in, in the middle of that. You did some TV movies as well. Why don't you tell me about that uh, period? Um, I, the, well, those were TV movies. Those are actually pilots. I think probably if you're looking at IMDb, that were listed, that were shot but not um, aired. Right. Oh, so, we'll see. so yeah. I, I went uh, the next season. I actually went back. Uh, the the guy who was working at spelling went over to Fox, and so I sold in this pilot about um, this very cabley pilot to Fox about a Vegas wedding chapel. So that was one thing we shot. That the next year didn't go. Hmm. A couple years later, I uh, I shot a pilot for. Sony, um, which was about a, which was shot in my hometown, Chicago, which was great, which was, um, which was Lear set in a law firm in Chicago. So Mm -hmm. it was this father with these three three kids and he had decided who handed, who to hand it over to. Um, and that was shot, but never made it to air. And then, uh, a year and a half later, I shot the, uh, spelling, the, 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 um, Bruckheimer pilot, Miami Medical. Uh, and that was the first show that I ran when it went on the air. Very, very cool. So tell me about that experience. It was great. Those guys are great. I love I love the Bruckheimer people. I've worked with them a bunch of times. And I hope to work with them again. They're, they're really fantastic. And um, uh, it was a sh- came off a blind deal. I had a blind deal, which is which which is um, them and Warner Brothers saying, hey, we'll figure out what we're going to work on together. And the show was never intended to be medical, hmm. and it was never intended to be set in Miami. <laughs> so um, so the fact that it ended up being called Miami Medical is sort of is sort of funny. But it was it was a show that got its inspiration when um, I did a bunch of research. And we found that there were, I think, five maybe or four 
trauma-only facilities in the United States, which mm -hmm. is which is institutions in which the only thing they did is trauma, right? Interesting. So there's no, and one was set in uh, Maryland, mm -hmm. uh, and I believe, if I remember correctly, and the other was set in Miami, and Miami's just a you know a sunnier setting, so that's where we ended up. <laughs> Very um, cool. Very cool. And, so, that, and that went 13 episodes? That went 13 episodes mm -hmm. on, on CBS. Um, and it was where I got taught from a guy named Steve Maeda, sort of how to be a showrunner, and I became quite enamored with the job. It's it's um, it is the only time in Hollywood that writers get to to, to get thrown into the producing and uh, of the, of a show, and really every piece of a show comes out as be, in being a showrunner. So it was that moment where you say, "Oh, wait a second, this is the thing I always wanted to do." Mm, very very cool. Um, and since then, you've been really busy. Um, the whole truth, chase, Pan Am, and uh, and now necessary roughness. Um, so tell me about post Miami Medical um, that uh, that time. It's it's been great. I've been bouncing. So on, on those sets of shows, I've either been what's called a co executive producer, which is sort of just below the the the, um, the executive producer and showrunners, where I've been sort of. Um, for Miami, for uh, Chase and Whole Truth and Pan Am, I was sort of a um, a hired gun brought in mm -hmm. to sort of help out um, while I was also developing uh, on my own. For Necessary Roughness, for the first two seasons, I was the showrunner along with the two creators, uh, people named Craig, Craig Shapiro and Liz Kruger. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for this third, se third season, I'm just um, consulting on the show. I'm in one, two days a week, and Craig and Liz are running the whole thing up by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it was, it's been great. It's been a great experience. Um, uh, uh, the show is shot in Atlanta. The room is in LA. Uh, the only significant downside of that is that on a Monday at six o'clock AM in Atlanta, it's 3 AM in LA. Oh and so my. when something goes bad, it's that first thing, you know, one of the three of us would get a phone call and the phone would ring. One of us would figure have to figure out how to deal with it. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, but, um, uh, Callie Thorne is fantastic in the season. John's. Amos has been great. Um, it's a great crew down there, and with the exception of the very hot weather at times, and mm. it's a pretty good place to shoot. Very, very cool. So that that basically takes up us up to the present. And I oh, and I, I can't forget. Um, I do have to mention that you were on the TV writer chat on June 9th. And so if anybody's watching this who wasn't there June 9th, make sure you do go to tvwriterchat.com Oh yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, and that look up that uh, transcript. Uh, but obviously, I mean, you've you've done features, even some video games we didn't didn't really talk about. You've um, you've been from the bottom level of TV all the way through developing series and being a showrunner. Um, yeah. So you've learned a lot along the way, and it's hard to just encapsulate um, a small part of that. But uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell me some, some tips that you've, you've learned about what makes uh, a good script, what makes a bad script, what are some of the mistakes maybe you see people making, and, uh, and what you like to see in, uh, uh, in writers? I think, I mean... The, the the way people read scripts is this, is that you read the first 10 pages, right? Mm -hmm. And in 10 pages, you decide whether or not, A, you can trust the writer enough to get you to the end. You know, within 10 pages of a script, maybe even 15, um, I can decide whether or not um, I can trust the writer to get me to the end. Within 10 pages, I, I sometimes just give up. And what, and what those 10 pages have to say is, A, there's a character here, there's an idea here, and um, there's something compelling to get you to turn to page 11. Um, after that, it's all about sort of structure and plotting going forward. Um, um, so I, I, I say to people, essentially, you know, 
you have to hone and rehone the beginning of your script in a way so, so that you so that you have the basis of trust to get the reader to the end of the script. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I tend to work on cards. I have, uh, I you know, downstairs I have about a thousand note mm-hmm. cards. You know, and I scribble notes on them and I write them and and uh, I tend to write cards in sort of forward things like. Um, like it all comes undone, right? Mm. And that'll be a card for me. Uh, and and then on the back, I'll jot some notes as to what all that means. And I I sort of obsessively write and rewrite. And if I make a little mistake, I throw the card out and I start again. And it's a way of sort of charting my way through a story. And I try not to go to outline until I've got the cards in place. And I try to have the discipline not to go to script until the outline is right. But at times, um, I I pay up. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, do you, do you work on just one? I mean, speaking about your own private, um, pilot de- development, do you work on multiple projects at the same time? Do you, do you, um, focus on one and bring it to, to the end or, or how, how does your own private writing go that way? I tend to have two to three things going at once, uh, and they're in different stages. Currently, I'm writing a pilot for FX and I'm writing a pilot for, uh, company called Alcon TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got two pilots that are in various stages of gestation. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to have one thing sort of in development in my own head where I'm working with another writer or I'm working with a producer or I'm, you know, so that there's a constant sense of, um, I can only sort of work on one thing at a time, but mm-hmm. that sort of means like a day or a right. week, you know, so I can spend a week on something and then, you know, while it just dates in my head, pop over to the other thing or do an outline or something else. So you, you tend to move back and forth a little bit. Um, but it's not, I, I'm not really great at being able to say, Oh, I'll spend three hours on this uh-huh. and then I'll spend two hours on that. That, that doesn't tend to work because all of a sudden characters bleed over into each other and your ideas get frayed. Hmm. And your, your goal I'm thinking is that you want another, uh, another series of your own on the air. I would love that. I mean, it, the, my hope is that one of these two series will get filmed either the, this fall or this winter. Um, that's, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, it's been nice to be, um, this is the first time in the last, I mean, I, I have knock on wicker, which is below me here. Um, I've been employed or steadily basically since two, uh, since 1997 when I got my first job. Wow. Um, either on one thing or two things. And this is the first time in all that period of time where I would, where I was developing two things that sort of came from my own invention that were completely of my own, um, uh, moment of conception. Um, and so it's, um, it's a nice, it's a nice time to have two projects that, that sort of came from just things I came up with and, or, or things that I was vaguely given by somebody else and, and that have, have become my own. Hmm. Very, very cool. And, and, uh, and where, what do you draw from for ideas? I, um, when you have two or three projects of your own, did these come from, um, things you've just observed? Are you uh, somebody who researches in the newspaper and pulls things out of there or? I used to I used to joke that all my good ideas came from NPR. Mm-hmm. You know, I drive around and put uh, National Public Radio on here in the states, and uh, and uh, ideas came out of that sort of. Um, the, the two current ones, one of which the project for Alcon is about um, a failed uh, expedition to Everest, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I you know I read a couple of books about that um, for leisure and became obsessed. 
And so that's where that idea came from. The other one is about stunt, uh, Stuntmen in the 70s, which was a project that was brought to me by Gail Ann Hurd and Valhalla. Wow. Um, but then the ideas, uh, but then the sort of soap within that has just come from, uh, you know, they brought me the sort of the initial piece of it. And then I just started throwing cards to myself about, hey, there's this character and there's that character. And, uh, um, you know, if it has any, if it has any, uh, influence is probably boogie boogie nights which which is was set in the same period of time and i sort of said well imagine if you took the world of 70s stuntmen and you it was it's basically all the sex and drugs and dysfunction and 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 incestuousness for boogie nights and then had to blow up hmm. so that was the, that's that series oh that that sounds like a lot of fun actually thank you uh my my wife actually um was down in la in 1980 and and did a stunt stuntman course but it's like it 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 was so much more glamorous back then. I don't know. It, <laughs> like, well, like, the, yeah, show, the show being set in the 70s is because now it's very much, I mean, uh, I don't demean stunt people at all, uh, but it, it's so much, now you have computers and, you know, all sorts of games that are done out, uh, is it in camera or out of the camera? I never remember. Anyway, they're, they're done post the actual shooting. Well, back mm-hmm. then, if you wanted to blow something up, You'd get in a car and you'd drive into a wall and you blow it up. Yeah. So that was the that was the glamour of it all, but it also caused also dysfunction as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very neat stuff. Well, um, you've you've been in a position as as a showrunner to hire people, and mm-hmm. a lot of people who watch this podcast are people who are trying to break in. Um, what would you say are some tips that you would give people who maybe are like like you were coming from Chicago, uh, landing in L.A. Not knowing what to do, what could you tell your, your sort of fifteen-year-old ago self that might shortcut the process? Um, no, that's all. I mean, it's a very different business now. I think, um, in the sense that because in the time between nineteen ninety-seven and now, with the proliferation of the internet and with the proliferation of the ability to wrong word, but I mean, with the ability to work anywhere and sorts of, there are so many more people who are on the edges trying to come in, and I and I keep thinking. That there are sort of two ways into the business right mm-hmm. now. Way number one is you make it in some other medium. You create a graphic novel. You become a great playwright. You you become a, a chef, <laughs> a uh, a racist chef. Paul um, Dean comes to mind, um, and you and you get attention through that other world, right? And then you are given entree because you because people are willing to talk to you because of that. The other way is you sort of have to find a mentor. Mm. You have to find somebody, you know, my first assistant is now a staff writer on Necessary Roughness, earned his way, great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another assistant now who hopefully I can groom and upon getting another show, give them a job. Um, so you, there comes a point where, first of all, the material has to be great. Um, and then you have to make the leap to say, I'm going to come to... Mostly it's Los Angeles or New York here. I'm not sure what it is in Canada. Hmm. And you have to go there and you have to be willing to get, you just go try to get hired as somebody's assistant or in an agency or in something whereby you can find access to somebody who's willing to A, read your material and B, say, I will, I will help you up the ladder. Cause it's sort of what it takes. It's, hmm. you know, if you don't have that other avenue, if you don't have the coin card of some other medium, um, it's very hard to get read. Hmm. You know, and, and I also, you know, and this is just a me thing. So you may, I'm sure you've talked to other writers and showwriters, yeah. I'm sure. You know, some people, when I came in, you could write a half hour, a spec of a, an existing TV show, a yeah. Law and Order or a, 
or a ER, right? I don't know that that gets read anymore, or at mm-hmm. least I don't read them anymore. I, yeah. I, I always say if you're going to write something, you might as well write for TV 58 pages of something that can be produced, which is in your own voice, uh, because A, showrunners will only read the first 10 if they're great and they're interesting and they're well-written, then they'll, they'll invite you in for a meeting and take it from there. Mm-hmm. But if not, you have a chance that somebody might read it, and if it's compelling enough, they'll make the, they'll, they'll make the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. You know, it's funny. I, I do speak to some showrunners. Maybe they're old school. They still read specs, but most people now are uh, are just pilots. It's hard because there's so much. When, when when I was breaking in, there were the three major networks. There was some cable going on, mm-hmm. but you as a showrunner probably could watch the 10 shows out there that people would want to write a spec to. Now, if you were writing spec now, if you were an hour writer, mm-hmm. you know, is it Game of Thrones? Is it Breaking Bad? Is it um, is it uh, uh, Nurse Jackie, which is a half hour but sort of series? I mean, there's so much stuff out there, right? Yeah. That if you that if you were a, a spec of an hour show, I probably don't watch it. Yeah. And so I'm now trying to figure out what the hell, who are these people, <laughs> what's going on here? You know, yeah. uh, other shows on. You know, there's the USA shows, there's the FX shows, you know, A and E, blah blah blah, blah you know, and so. Just the amount of material you'd have to know to try to read somebody's spec, it'd be like, well, okay, I don't watch a Longmire, but you yeah. like Long, you know. So it's really difficult. Um, again, this is just a, you know, you probably somebody will probably click over to the next uh, interview you have and sort of say, I only read specs. I'm not going to read your <laughs> damn original pilot. So yeah, yeah. no, no, that's a, that's a very valid point. And um, now, well, one question I do have for you as a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's really buzzing about Amazon Studios and Netflix. Um, how do you feel about these these new players on the scene? Look, the, the Netflix stuff that has been done so far is great. I mean, and and the model makes a lot of sense um, um, because because it it removes you know if they keep doing it the way they're doing, it, which is essentially to find people they trust and give them you know uh, uh, twelve episodes to make. Um, I certainly think I think you you talked to Bo Willems, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, I haven't watched the interview yet, but but I'd be fascinated to know what his experience was. But I, I certainly think it is it was a totally successful, um, dramatic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, I think Netflix is very happy. I, I just feel like, you know, you and I are having an interview, and I'm on my iPad here. This is just the way it's going, and so yeah. we're, we're we're unplugging. Um, so it's going to happen. Um, I don't think it's going to kill off uh, the networks. Um, I think it's going to change the way they do business, and I think it's an incredibly exciting time. You know, I'd be interested to see what other people say to you, but it is a really – whereas in movies right now, I think movie writers are frustrated, hmm. and I think movie audiences are on some level frustrated with the, with the ever-shrinking uh, cone of possibility. Hmm. TV writers don't feel that way right yeah. I mean, we really we, there's so many outlets out there, and they're and growing right now into people who want to go into original programming. That um, I think we're feeling the reverse of that. We're feeling quite buoyed by the fact that the, the possibilities are out there. Very cool. Well, that actually is a really good place to end up. Good. And I know uh, your time is not unlimited, so uh, yes. I should let you get going. But um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And I hope with these two. Hey, uh, I've I've known people who've developed two projects at the same time, and they both got off the ground. So. Well, look, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm just gonna 
my first goal is just to get to the to page fifty eight and uh, and fade to black. So when that happens, <laughs> that's goal one. Goal two is to get either one of them made and then on the air and then successful. And um, I appreciate the fact that you um, have such interest in in all this stuff. And uh, if either of them go or whenever I do what's next, if you want to talk, again, I'd love to. So sure. thank you. Great. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Good. Best luck to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.